Well, good morning and, and happy Trinity Sunday to you all today. Uh, that is the, the day that we celebrate today in the church year, and, and I think it's actually uh, quite extraordinary uh, that we could have a, a baptism scheduled on, on Trinity Sunday. Uh, you see that clear command in, in uh, Matthew 28 to baptize into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's through that gift, that, that gift of God who has revealed himself as, as three in one, uh, as they confess, or we often confess, well, we don't often speak it aloud, but in the Athanasian Creed, we, we speak of God saying, we neither confuse the persons nor divide the substance. That God is strangely, mysteriously three and yet one. And today Joshua has been joined to that one true God. And because Joshua has been joined to that one true God, Joshua and all the baptized have the promise of life and salvation. And that is a, a tremendous gift for us to celebrate uh, today uh, and every day. But one thing that I find interesting is, is that the, the day of Trinity Sunday, if you look in the Eastern Orthodox Church calendar, is actually celebrated on the same day as Pentecost. Uh, they, they kind of join the holidays together, and, and it actually makes some sense, because if you think about it, that the fullness of God's revelation of himself really comes on Pentecost. God has, has revealed himself as three in one throughout the story of Scripture, but that fullness of the revelation of God's Spirit comes on Pentecost. But I think there's a, another connection to Pentecost and, and Trinity Sunday, and that is the fact that on Pentecost, the triune God, the God of Scripture, reveals himself as the sending God. And that is emphasized on Pentecost as, as the, the apostles are, are sent in, in the power of the Spirit to go and proclaim to the nations. But we see it throughout the whole story of Scripture. Right? If you look at that reading from Genesis this morning, right after God makes man and woman, He places them in the garden. He sends them to exercise His dominion and lordship over creation. God sends Abraham to go and settle in the promised land. So that God would, would work out his plan of rescue for all creation through him and his family. God sends Moses to, to rescue and, and redeem the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. God sends the prophets to, to speak God's word and God's truth to a wayward people who have lost their true God. And God sends Jesus to come and, and rescue us and, and redeem us by suffering and dying so that we could be set free from, from the curse of sin and, and death and from the power of the evil one. And, and still today, our God is a sending God. He's a God who sends us in that same power of the Spirit to, to go and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the nations. And it's no surprise then that today on, on Trinity Sunday, the day where we celebrate the mystery of the God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, that our gospel lesson is Matthew 28, right? the Great Commission, where the sending God sends his people to go and proclaim the good news to the nations. I think many of us, we, we read these words and we simply stop and, and say, oh, that's the, the evangelism text, right? The text that, that says, go and, and bring people to church. 
And it certainly is that. It is this command to, to go and, and preach the gospel, to make known the goodness of God. But, but I think there, there's much more than that here. And if we simply write it off as, as that's the evangelism command, we, we miss out on, on a lot of the words, a lot of the command, and, and a lot of the promises that Jesus makes to us here. And, and so we begin there in verse 16. Where Matthew says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So here, after Jesus has appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, and he told them, Go and meet me in Galilee, I'll appear to you there. They go and they meet him on this mountain, and Matthew tells us that they worshipped him, but some still have their doubts. They've seen Jesus with their own eyes, but some still have their doubts, still have their uncertainty as to what all of this means. Now, now I think this is, is very interesting for us because Matthew says very clearly that they doubt. Not that they are filled with unbelief. It's very, very different words here. He, he could have easily said they did not believe, but he doesn't. That, that we see the disciples here, some are, they're all worshiping, but some in the midst of that worship are still uncertain, still have their doubts. He doesn't say some worshiped and some doubted, but they all worship, and some of those doubt. And actually, I think this is something that many of us experience on a pretty regular basis. Think of how many times you've, you've been reading the scriptures and, and going to God in prayer filled with doubt, filled with uncertainty, actually praying in that act of worship that God would take away your doubts. Or, or how many times have you sat in, in worship and, and, and been singing the, the hymns and, and participating in the liturgy and reciting the creeds, all the while wondering, do I believe this? I, I don't know about this. I mean, I'll be totally honest. If, if I didn't show up to worship every time that I had doubts about what I believe, doubts about what I was going to preach that Sunday, well, you'd have a lot shorter services on the Sundays that I <laughs> preach. I'll just put it that way. And, and in fact, one of the things that I think is actually when we are filled with doubt, worship is precisely the place that we should be. Our doubt should not cause us to flee from worship. We shouldn't go say, hey, I'm going to get this all figured out and sorted out, and then I'll worship. But rather, in the midst of our doubt, worship is precisely the place that we should be because it's in worship that we are re-immersed into that story of our salvation. That we hear the word of God read. We hear the word of God preached. We receive the word of God in the body and blood of Jesus at the altar. That the thing that we need to combat our doubts is worship. Doubt should never cause us to flee from worship. It should cause us to flee to worship. We don't just simply need more, more information or more evidence for our faith. That can only go so far. It can engage our minds. It can interact with our thinking, but it's only worship that can engage our hearts 
and transform doubting hearts to believing hearts. When you have doubts, this is the place that you should be, around the people of God, surrounded by the gifts of God, worshiping even in the midst of your doubts. And it's to these doubting yet worshiping disciples that Jesus gives this command to. Says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes to his disciples and and he tells them to go. To go and and proclaim and and go and and make disciples of all nations. And and one of the things that I think is interesting is if you read this in light of Daniel chapter 7 and this vision that Daniel is given in verses 13 and 14, it says something very powerful about what Jesus is claiming about himself. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus says to his disciples that one that Daniel saw, that was me. The one given all power and all authority over all creation, that was me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give that authority to you. To go. To to make disciples of all the nations by baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I love about what Jesus says here is how he juxtaposes making disciples from all nations, but baptizing them into the name of the one true God. In other words, all nations become one nation under the name and the lordship of our God. That in the gospel, in that gift of Christ given on the cross for all, all of our divisions begin to pass away. Those things that separate us from one another begin to pass away. You know, I think one of the temptations that that has been with the church throughout history is the temptation to, to seek to be a part of the household of God while still trying to cling tightly to those things that divide us. It's not new for us. I read most of the New Testament and it's written addressing these sorts of divisions. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, he talks about division over over what teacher you follow, whether it be Paul or Apollos or or Peter or Jesus. He addresses division over over spiritual gifts and, and socioeconomic status. If you read Galatians, Paul talks about division over over Jew and Gentile and whether these new Gentile believers have to obey all of these Jewish laws and, and all the men have to be circumcised. Not a whole lot has changed, has it? The issues may be different, but we still seek to cling to those things that divide us. 
seek to cling to our division over, over whether you voted red or blue. Seek to cling to our divisions over how much your net worth is, what neighborhood you live in, what your, your racial and ethnic background is. We're tempted to seek to, to belong to the church, yet cling to this nationalism that frankly does violence to the unity that the gospel brings to us. A unity that transcends physical, racial, ethnic, cultural borders. But we ought not forget that what Christ gives his disciples here and gives to us today is the authority to proclaim something that causes division to pass away. The authority to proclaim the gospel that is for everyone, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you're dressed like, regardless of what you look like, regardless of of where your parents were born. That the gospel is everything that we need to be united by being baptized into the name of one true, the one true God, those divisions begin to pass away. When we invoke the name of God upon our worship and, and make that sign of the cross, and, and when we baptize babies like Joshua into the name of the one true God, that should stand for us as a reminder that our primary identity, it is not liberal or conservative. Our primary identity is not American citizen. Our primary identity is child of the living God and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. All division passes away under the name of the one true God. All people can be and have been made one people who have been baptized into his name because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for all people. And one of the ways that we are called to live out that oneness, live out that unity that we share in the name of our God, is by following and observing all that Christ has taught us. Verse 20, after Christ says, Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, I think we're, we're often, we, we maybe get a little bit confused as to what Christian obedience is really about. And actually, the church throughout history has kind of gotten mixed up about this time and time again. And, and any good Lutheran knows that our obedience is not about earning our salvation. It's not about earning God's favor. It is not proving to God or proving to the world that we've been made a part of the faith. God does not say to us, I got you in, but now it's up to you. But on the flip side, I think sometimes we're tempted to think that because salvation is by grace alone through the blood that Christ has shed for us, that that our, our obedience and our good works don't matter. But just as, as those works and our obedience does not earn our salvation, neither is it meaningless. Rather, I would encourage you to see your life, see your observing all that Christ has commanded us, 
as a part of that call to go and make disciples. That when we live according to what Christ has commanded us, what we are doing is we are saying we are a people who are so intent and so anxious for what God is going to do when Jesus returns that we want to experience a taste of it, though slim, though small, right now. That, that when we live according to what Christ has taught us, we are saying this is how God has created us to be, and this is how things are going to be when he returns. That our lives stand as a witness to the world, not only of what God has done, but what he is going to do. If we witness with our words, telling and proclaiming what God has done, telling and proclaiming what he's going to do, then it is with our lives that we say to the world, this is what it's going to look like. And so with that, people of God, I bid you, go. Go and and live your life in in worship of Jesus. Go and, and be continually immersed into that story of our salvation. Be immersed in the scriptures that God promises will cast out those doubts. That God promises will strengthen and nourish your faith. Go in the authority that Christ has given us, proclaiming the unity that we have as we have been baptized into the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go and and live as a witness of what God has done and what he is going to do. But above all else, go. And know that he promises that he is with you Always, even until the end of the age. Amen?